Well, good morning, Three Crosses. How are you? It's an honor and a privilege to be here with you this morning to open up God's Word together. First time I was on this campus, I was 13 years old, hiding beer bottles in the ivy looking at cheerleaders, so I can't tell you what a journey it's been. <laughs> and the Lord's been with me every step of the way, and here we are together. But it really started for me in 1997. I found myself in Israel on top of a mountain, kind of sucking my thumb a little bit, overlooking the very beach where Jesus met Peter right there on the upper left and invited him to drop his nets and fish for men. I found myself up on that hill because I had come to faith about 12 years earlier, and I did everything that a good, brand-new Christian did. I started to check all my religious boxes, listen to the music that I was supposed to listen to, stop listening to the music, even the good stuff that I was not supposed to listen to, hanging out with the people that I was supposed to hang out with, not hanging out with people that weren't going to take me in the right direction. Joined a home group. Went to church every Sunday, started serving in a junior high ministry. Effectively, I had a great time, and I just started to get emptier and emptier and emptier because in a certain way, it became another thing to do in the life that I was living so chaotically. I was a contractor, and I had a small children and a marriage, and I was just juggling and traffic and bills and church and bills and traffic, and it just got to where I found myself asking big questions to a big God, if there was a God. So I ended up on top of Mount Arbel, overlooking that space, and I had a pastor who I just jumped onto a trip. I really didn't know anybody on the trip, and he shared Luke 5. And this is right where Jesus invites Peter to drop his nets and follow him. And then he turns to me, and he says, it'd be like if Jesus walked up to you, Mark, you're about the age of Peter, and would you drop your nets and would you have gone with them? And it was like the voice of God was speaking directly to me. And I said, no, I love my nets. I worked hard for my nets. And I knew they were false nets, false security, false identity. But doggone it, I went through a lot to get them. You with me on that? And then the next verse is the one that galvanized me. Follow me. I'll teach you to become a fisher of people. And there's the problem. I'm not a big fan of people. <laughs> people kind of bug me. I mean, am I alone in that? S certain kind of people. Let me back that up. Most people, if I can be honest with you. I counted on the way here this morning. I was bugged by people 16 times before I pulled in the parking lot. First one was at 4.30 in the morning in Santa Cruz. I live in Santa Cruz. I'm on my way here. Got to get some gas. And I got a guy filling his car with a vapor. I'm in Santa Cruz. He smoke a lot of weed in Santa Cruz. It's smoke coming out of the vape. Light turns green. There's only me and him. And it's 4.30. It's pitch dark. And the brother's like lighting the thing. Or I don't know what he's doing. But the light turns yellow. And then he scoots and runs the red. And I'm sitting there. People bug me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're prickly, they're annoying, they're controlling, they're manipulative, they're angry, they're in a hurry, they're hostile, they're grumpy. And God went, yep, so are you. <laughs> I need that kind of brother to reach into the community and find those kind of brothers so that you can breathe life into them. I really started to wrestle. Three days later, I find myself in Nazareth where Jesus first proclaimed his ministry and he opened up a scroll from Isaiah 61. He quotes this in Nazareth. It says, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus knew why he was walking the earth and what he was to do and what he was created for. And I realized when I stood there in Nazareth, he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And I realized at that moment I believed in the good news, but I wasn't living it. I wasn't living in the blessings of God but I believed it with all my heart. He said, I come to bring good news and he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and I was captive to debt, captive to a family, captive in a, in a work environment, captive to traffic, tractive, a captive now in a religious environment and I needed to be set free and that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and that now is the time of the Lord's favor. God now for the first time in history is for everybody on the planet, everybody. God looks at and goes, I made him. I made him. And that's when I started to realize that I needed to make some changes in my life. And I started to pray a prayer that changed my life forever. It's a dangerous prayer. I said, Lord, would you open my eyes? Because in Isaiah, it doesn't say the blind will see. Jesus added that. Because he realized he was living in a time in history where people needed to open up their eyes to some new revelations. Some new things that were happening, new things that God was doing on the planet. I said, Lord, would you open my eyes and would you open my ears? Teach me to hear your voice. Teach me to see what you show me and change my heart. Align my heart with your heart. Your will be done. It was a dangerous prayer, but it changed everything for me. Now, last week, we opened up with uh, Peter on a beach in the Galilee and closed with God reaffirming Peter and his ministry. But this morning, I want to take you to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, if you got your Bibles, if you got your tablets, if you're with me in there, great. If you're not, I'll fill in some blanks. It opens up with, I think, one of the greatest lessons that Peter still had to learn. It opens up with a guy named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was a Roman centurion, and he was a God-fearing man. He had come into Judaism, he was a Greek man, uncircumcised, came into Judaism, which kind of made him, in his sphere of religiosity, kind of a second-class citizen. And I'd been a second-class citizen for most of my life. Didn't do well in school, kind of struggled in every kind of environment, so I can kind of relate with Cornelius a little bit. And Cornelius is starting to move into a relationship with God, came to Judaism, and in Judaism, because he's a Greek and because he's uncircumcised, he's welcome to the party, but you stay in the back. Not fully embraced. We're glad you're here. Your kids were pumped about, but you're mm, kind of came in late to the show. Second thing with Cornelius is he's a Roman centurion. He's in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers and he's affluential. He is wealthy and he's a captain and God gives him a vision to say, Cornelius, I want to bring you into the full fold. And Cornelius freaks out because an angel actually appears to him. And Cornelius knows his Torah enough to know that when angels show up, people die. And he starts freaking out. And he says, no, 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 no. God has heard your prayers, seen your lifestyle, knows your heart. you got to go get a guy named Peter. He's out hanging out on a rooftop in Joppa. And send your men to go get him. Peter will tell you everything you need to know to fill in the blanks, to bring you into the full family of God. I love this in verse 9, as the story unfolds, it says, Meanwhile, Peter was on a tanner's house who worked with dead animals, and he was on his roof. Why was Simon Peter on the roof? Because Simon the tanner dealt with dead things, dead animals. Simon the tanner was 
unclean. And Peter understood clean and unclean. People that were in the family of God and not right with God. And Peter was on the tanner's roof. And that is right where Peter gets his vision from the Lord. And it's a big sheet that starts to come down. And it's got four big corners and it's full of all kinds of animals that Peter can't eat. Unclean stuff like pigs. Man, I love bacon. (laughs) My wife and I go in and out of vegetarianism. And I can I speak to you as a vegetarian? I love my salads wrapped in bacon. I'm saying, who doesn't love a good bacon-wrapped jalapeno? Right here, baby. So he's got pigs up there. He's got reptiles in that sheet, which apparently the Jews couldn't eat. Now, I'm not much into eating reptiles. If you're from the South, you probably know how to cook them right. I don't know how to cook them right. And there's birds up there. And Simon Peter says, I'm not eating that. And the Spirit God says, no, go ahead and eat. Three times the voice of God said, no, eat. Don't be calling stuff unclean that I made clean. It's a new day. It's a new thing. This is a big lesson in your heart. And then the third time, it's crazy. Peter needs three lessons all the way through his life. It's crazy. I mean, he's just like you and I. He's got to repeat, repeat three times. And then the vision goes away, and it says that Peter was perplexed and confused. What does all this mean? And then I want to draw your attention to verse 19. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzled over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking to you looking for you, get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. There's so much in these two verses, and I'm going to start with, for the first time in Peter's life, he has to learn how to hear the Spirit of God. Three years of his life, he watched Jesus model things. The Spirit of God is calling Peter into something that Peter's never seen modeled by Jesus. Think about it. Acts 2 Or three, somewhere in there, Peter and John are going up the temple stairs and they heal the cripple. Just like you've seen Jesus do dozens of times. Preaches a sermon from those steps. Preaches a sermon in the very spot that his friend for years preached sermons. And then on the way to Joppa, he heals a cripple guy. He's been crippled for eight years. Picks him up, heals him. Amazing, but he saw Jesus do it. And then he raises a dead woman named Dorcas. Kind of a bummer name, but what a day for her. (laughs) Raises her from the dead. And Peter's doing what he saw his rabbi do. But for the first time, the Spirit said, I'm going to take you somewhere new. I'm going to take you into some people groups and some people you can't stand. Last time you saw Roman soldiers, they were literally taking your best friend through the streets of Jerusalem, stripping him of his dignity, his skin, his hair, finally nailing him to a tree. That's the people group I want you to go see. See, what God's calling Peter to do is ride the rim. Come out of your Jewishness, come out of your community, come out of all the people that you hang out, which, by the way, Peter, are just like you, sing like you, read like you, eat like you, talk like you, do life just like you. Come out of that culture and get onto the rim of what I'm doing in the world and reach into people that are different to you and bring them into the community, God. And see, this is right where I lived for the first 12 years of my faith, thinking that the goal was to isolate myself from unclean things. Unclean music, unclean situations that probably in the most, in the big picture aren't good for me, but that's not the goal. See, I'd sat in that little community in my home groups and praying for the people outside in the world and giving money to the people that are out doing all of God's work and funding them. And God's going, no, bro, I made you to ride the rim of culture and to reach into people groups that you don't get, people that don't vote like you. 
people that are taller than you. I just saw my friend Gray Reber, guy's like 6'7". Go in to minister to tall people. It looks like this. Raider fans, I don't get you, but God loves you. Wants to pull you into the community. Warrior fans that jumped off the bandwagon, come back home, man. Arabs, gay, smart, short, black, white, Vietnamese, not educated, academic, scientists, everybody on the planet, God is saying, meet them. Reach into community and bring them into culture and bring them into community. He says this, the Holy Spirit said, get out there onto the rim and head to Cornelius's. And then he says, go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Without hesitation, go. But don't worry. Why did he, why did he say don't worry? Because if you and I are honest, when God calls us to engage somebody that's different in an authentic way, it's frightening. It's frightening. It's scary. He says don't worry. Three reasons why I believe he says to Peter, you don't have to worry about it. First one is just a couple of weeks earlier, before Jesus ascended back to heaven, he says, I'm going to give you guys a new lifestyle. It's called the Great Commission, but that's a religious box we like to check. It's a lifestyle. As you go, everywhere you go, along the way, make disciples. Oh, back to scary. What that means is just imitate how Christ lived. People will start to fall in love with how you're living, and then you're going to do some life with them, and they're going to start imitating Jesus walking the earth without ever seeing him 2,000 years ago. Everywhere you go, every place you meet, everybody that's in your face, just be who you are, how I made you, and walk with them. Baptize them. Bring them into a place of commitment with the Lord and awakening with who God is and how much Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are in love and invested in who they are. And then teach them just what I taught you. Second reason is this great verse. It's my life verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece, workmanship, poem, some of your translations say. He has created us anew when we're in Christ so that we can do great things, great work, serving people, and walk into these great moments that he planned, prepared for us long before time began. Peter, just be you. Of course I asked you to go to Cornelius's. You're the only guy dumb enough to do it. I made you a workmanship, a masterpiece. Now, if you came here with a spouse, tell that spouse, I'm a masterpiece. Now, if you got some conflict in the marriage right now, coming to church, that's when we had some good conflicts, hurrying out of the house, couldn't find a place to park, cutting people off, wife gets mad. If you're in conflict, don't turn to your spouse and say, yeah, you're a piece of work, all right. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, you're one of a kind. God says you're individually made for a certain time in history to meet certain kind of people, but you got to get up on the rim. And the third thing I think why the Lord said don't worry is because, because you're a masterpiece. I've lined stuff up. It's already in motion. i got angels freaking out Cornelius right now. And by the way, listen, they're at the door. All you got to do is get up. And so he says, but 21, so Peter went down and went on the way to Cornelius' house. It's an amazing thing. Now, three years ago, my wife and I start to get this prompting, this prodding. And we found ourselves not stuck in our faith, but very comfortable in this community. Cafe was up and running. Love our home. Love our community. Love this community. I've been here since 1976. I mean, we just, my wife was born in Alameda, moved here, I think, when she was two. We are Castro Valley people. Graduated Hayward High twice. <laughs> Guy's been around me long enough to know the first time I graduated was bad for my paraphernalia business, my marketing package. So I went back. My, anyway, so... <laughs> 
He says, where was I? I forgot. Huh? Three years ago, we started getting prompt. Thank you. That's my first wife right there. Thank you, baby. What did I do without you? Three years ago, we get prompted by the Spirit. Hey, I think God's calling us to Santa Cruz. God's doing something in Santa Cruz. Something's happening in Santa Cruz. Eh, I like surfing, but they, man, they smoke a lot of weed in Santa Cruz. And my son says, hey, I think I want to open a barbershop, a luxury barbershop in Santa Cruz. And I said, son, nobody, they're hippies, man. Nobody gets their hair cut. It's a bad business model. And I, oh, well, you're young. You're not going to just go knock yourself out. You've got plenty of time to sink some ships. Go start your thing. Have some fun. Well, the Lord had it all prepared. And he had this fantastic retail space right in the cream of the cream on a high-profile area, right next to a very successful restaurant where it's all this publicity, but it needed to be remodeled. So my wife and I, we take our vacation in uh, the heat of summer. All, it was the hottest, like, two weeks of Santa Cruz's history two years ago, and we start remodeling this barbershop. And it got down to the wire where the hardwood floors were going to come in two days, and I still had to paint this ceiling uh, that was black white 70 gallons of white paint and all of a sudden a guy peeks his head in uh, from the uh, restaurant and says hey you guys cutting hair in here because he's got me my son's got me in a chair cutting my hair and it's like no this is the picture I took this guy says I've never had a real haircut and that's his wife the shoulders on the left and she's pumped this kid's getting a haircut and they start talking life and they start falling in love with each other and laughing a little bit and then my son starts giving him a shave it goes into the night I got Home Depot floodlights. My son's cutting his beard and his shaving. And then he says, I just really love hanging out with you guys. Do you need any help? And I said, well, I got to paint this whole ceiling tomorrow morning. And he goes, well, I work at the boardwalk. I'm part of the roller coaster security, the welding, make sure they think. I think I'll call in sick tomorrow and come help you paint. What? <laughs> what? Shows up at 6 in the morning. Donuts, airless sprayer, the whole thing. We paint sincerely through a heat wave all day into the night painting the ceiling and what's he want to do he says uh, about eight in the morning hey you mentioned you were a pastor uh-oh <laughs> hey bro make sure you get that molding over there we're gonna miss a spot right there and he goes i've always had questions about the bible oh, up on the tee the spirit of god said this is the moment and i said no lord i gotta get the paint done <laughs> he says what's the difference between the old testament and the new testament well the Old Testament's old, the New Testament, well, that's new. <laughs> Just keep painting, man, keep painting. What, what's up with, with Noah, the flood, and dinosaurs and all that? I said, bro, it's a crazy story, a lot of water, one bird, big boat, a lot of time, boat parks, <laughs> Noah gets drunk. I mean, come on, man, let's keep painting. <laughs> and, so, and so, by the end of this paint experience, and he starts hanging around the barbershop, she actually becomes our first employee, or my son's first employee, and hires her, she's our receptionist, we start gathering pastors and people around. They end up in a local church. They start wrestling with God in a new level between them. He actually comes to a, an awakening with the Lord. It's like one guy shows up at night. And what we learned how to do is see people. Because we so often don't see people. We just glaze past people. We started to learn how to see people and then value people. Because our marriage suffered for some time. We've been married 32 years. Amazing. One time. 32 years. I would say it's all been easy. She would say it's been 30 years of practice and we've been married really two years. <laughs> so I could value what they were wrestling with and dealing with. 
And when you value somebody, it's easy to love somebody. And then when you love somebody, you want to do life with somebody. And it's riding the rim in an abandoned barbershop with no power and just meeting people. Now, I met a guy 12 years ago who was where I was at. He was a biker, tatted up, knuckles to neck, beard, long hair, big motorcycle, loud motorcycle. I ride a Vespa. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this brother's been through it. I've never done hard time. I don't know. I can imagine this brother had done hard time. And it's like God just went, there's a guy. And I saw Kurt. And then we learned how to value Kurt. Before you know it, we're falling in love with Kurt. And then we're doing life with Kurt. Kurt comes to Israel with me and Pastor Tyler Scott. We go often. We're leading a trip in 2021, January. This is infomercial time right here. And we have brochures on the men's corner, an information meeting next Sunday at 1130 in D1. I'd love to take you guys to Israel. All of you. Not at one time. <laughs> so Kurt starts to wrestle with God, and he says, you know, I feel like God's calling me to do something in a body shop down in Turlock. Can anything good happen in Turlock? Down in Turlock with all these kind of hoods and gangbangers and lowriders and bikers and kind of bring the community together. And I went, Kurt, you're a masterpiece. You're created for that. Now, we have a podcast here at Three Crosses. You can go to our website and get there. And this was last week's podcast, just a snippet of Kurt telling a little moment in his story. Tell me about Peter and Joppa. That was another big place for you. Yes, sir. Um, sitting in a pizza parlor in Joppa, just south of Pet Tel Aviv, um, the revelation of Jonah, who was a man of God, loved the Lord, mm -hmm. um, ran. And not 75 yards from that, Peter accepted his call going against everything. Can you imagine how nope. he was hair-lipped when God showed him all that stuff, take and eat? No, may it never be. Mm -hmm. I mean, his whole world was churned upside down. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was, okay, Kurt, you think you know about God? Let's, let's, <laughs> let me show you. But it was right there that God said, you're going to be like Jonah and run? Are you going to accept what I've called clean, and you're going to roll with that? Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, the rest is history, or I wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> what, did it, what did it mean for you when you, when you because you said it was 20 minutes before you didn't get words out. Jesus Christ wasn't cool. Mm -hmm. um, God was, was the authoritative wanting to beat you up. Mm -hmm. And for me... The biggest thing for me is to make sure that people, no, no, God loves you. He loves you. Mm -hmm. I remember being told, um, God's watching. God's going to get you. He's watching. And then I realized, yeah, he's watching, but he's not watching to get me. Mm -hmm. He can't take his eyes off of me. <laughs> he can't take his eyes off of you. He, he, he loves, like watching yeah. our kids yeah. or our grandkids. Mm -hmm. he, we can't take our eyes off of them, mm -hmm. not because we're waiting to kick their tail, mm -hmm. but because we're in love with them. Mm -hmm. So that whole accepting this call to minister to men and to love on men at all cost is not a, it's not a scary thing anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. a, you love them and I'll love them through you. Mm -hmm. I'll take care of the rest. And he has. And he has. It's just, it's been amazing. It's amazing to see Kurt in his element in Turlock. Yep, yep. 
interlock with 60 to 80 to sometimes 100 men in a body shop with Bibles out, bikers, lowriders, ex-gangbangers, teachers, fathers and sons, and him just leading them to the light, just encouraging them and bringing people together in love, seeing people and then valuing those people. And Kurt falls in love with them because the love of God just starts to pour through us when we're up on the rim and then doing a little bit of life with them, whether it's a weekend, a meal, a week, a decade, a soccer season. To see the people God puts in our face to, with our eyes that he's opened, to hear his voice whisper and enlighten us to what direction we should turn. We have this verse that my wife and I started to really, really take to heart, Isaiah chapter 30, because we were scared to go into Santa Cruz and to possibly be leaving something that we love so much. Your ears will hear sweet words behind you when you step out. Go this way. There is the path. This is how you should go. Whenever you must decide whether to turn to the right or to the left, that voice will be there for you. To start to learn to have eyes that see what he's opening for us and ears to hear his voice and hearts that aligns with his. Well, it was Kurt and about six other men who started to encourage my wife and I, you guys need to start a nonprofit. That does what? You've got to figure it out, just stay on the path. Right or left, what? And Harry Bruno started to encourage me and guys like Hugh Halter, my, uh, our speaker at Men's Retreat, and Ron Ritchie, my spiritual father, you need to start a, a, a nonprofit just encouraging people in the things that you and Kathy have learned on how to live life and how to get up on the rim and how to do things. And it's like, oh, I'm just kind of a, a guy that barely got out of Hayward High and was in the Ivy with, you know, that's, I started to listen to these voices that weren't the voice of God and God went, yeah, do this. So we started a nonprofit. And it's like a year ago, it got like legal. And that's the nonprofit, the tribal way. The tribe is the tribe of God. God said to Abraham, dude, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to make you a new tribe, a new nation. And the focus will be that your tribe will bless every other tribe on the planet through you. Then comes Jesus opening the whole thing up on a tanner's rooftop saying, Peter, get out of the cup and get on the rim. Well, what I know is we're doing podcasts with peculiar ones because when people start to listen to the voice of God and do something that's scary and frightening and rely on God, it's, it's peculiar. And so I'm going to interview people called the peculiar ones that I find they're living a life that's very, very interesting. And they are stepping into the fact that they're a masterpiece, individually uh, created by God for these great moments of time. And we have celebrations and gatherings and all of a sudden we got all these people hanging around us and then two surfers and then four other people from the community said hey i heard you lead trips to israel so like okay so we were sitting in the backyard with one surfer i've always wanted to go to surfers so i said okay we'll go with four people and then it was five and then it was 10 and then it was 20 i took 20 people to israel got back a month ago came back with 42 new tattoos in the group that'll tell you <laughs> kind of people we took I didn't get a tattoo. Ten of us didn't, but ten other people got a whole bunch of new tattoos. And then we started going to Israel. We started landing in Israel, and something really happened when all these little misfits start to come together and start to see each other in all their brokenness and all their reality and all their frailty and all their successes, really see them. And then to value our Asian couple and our bikers, our surfers, our contractors, we all start coming together and valuing each other. And then loving each other, and then doing a little bit of life. Well, we got this bus driver. He's Muslim, and, and that's his name, Ahmed. And we start treating Ahmed like we treat everybody as we see him. Tell us about who you are, Ahmed. Ahmed's been driving Christian groups for 15 years. 
Who are you? And we start giving them noogies and we start hugging them and we start thanking God on the microphone for Ahmed and his family and praying for peace and inviting them into meals. I remember my wife and I walking for an afternoon through Tiberias with me, Ahmed, and my wife looking for the hotel we're going to stay in in this group that we're taking in a year. And we started to bring Ahmed into the, into the elite inner circle because when I meet as a tour guide, the hotel manager, he says, hey, come down and get yourself some tea or a coffee or would you like a drink or walk around? And we'd go, come on, Ahmed, come with us. And Ahmed's like, mm, this is an orthodox, orthodox hotel. I'm Muslim. Come on, man, you're part of the family. And we're coming up and we're in the, in the rooms going, what do you think of the room, Ahmed? It's pretty amazing. And then he's walking through the streets with us and we'd say, what do you think? Should we stay there? Uh, where they put the bus drivers there, it's no good. Okay, that hotel's out. And he's going... What? He said, the one, Ron Beach, those are really good people. It's a Jewish hotel, but they're really, really good people. And I like the room that they give me. That's where we're staying. If you come with us, we're going to the Ron Beach because Ahmed said it's good. We valued him. We love him. We want him to be part of the jury. We're staying where he wants to stay. And all of a sudden, something happens. We find out that his wife is the best cook in Palestine. Our guide has eaten at their home one time. She's Jordanian. They met at an arranged marriage. That's where they met, and she turns into this great cook, and when there's weddings or festivals in her little community, now, mind you, they've lived in the same community, their family, for 700 years. Mount of Olives, 700 years. His grandfather, great-grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-great-great-grandfather were the curators of the Dome of the Rock. He's pretty Muslim. I say, we're eating at Ahmed's house on the microphone on the bus. And the guide went, mm, not going to happen. His house is this big. We're just 20 of us. And that's never happened. I've only been there once. And then two days later, Ahmed says, Marek, 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 I talked to uh, my wife. We'd, we'd love to have you in our home for lunch. What? Yes, yes. You're part of us now. And he walks 20 Christian people through his Mount of Olive Arab neighborhood, moves his furniture out of the house four doors down, rents patio furniture, puts it inside the house, and cooks for us. Look at her, she's pumped about it. She don't even know who we are. Look at mama. She's all excited. Why are there 20 Christians in my house? I mean, Ahmed, that's Ahmed looking at me. Ahmed, he's pretty pumped about us, but he's even a little nervous. Look, that's the first time. And then back the picture up, and you see we're right under a rug that is a prayer rug to Mecca and the Dome of the Rock, and it's right there. That's his beautiful daughter. And then we have her cooking. I had to snap a couple of these pictures. She is not feeling the love. And then I ask a question about Ahmed's son. He's 21 years old. Does he have a girlfriend? Ooh, you could have heard a pin run. You don't ask that. We're going to arrange that marriage. We don't talk about that. Ooh, you didn't tell me, Ahmed. I'm very sorry. I'm a masterpiece, man. God loves me. It's okay. And she starts cracking a smile. Nobody's ever asked about the girlfriend, and this is what their life is wrapped around, the building of a family. And then all of a sudden, we're out front of the home taking pictures, and he says, gather everybody around, and look at her. She's being absorbed, and we got a smile. Never heard a day. Get on the bus, and our guide, Andre, tells me later that evening, you know, I've seen this twice, twice in my life. I said, what? He said, it's marhaba. Marhaba. It's a holy love. It's sacred when people come together in God's presence and accept each other, love each other, and encourage each other. First John talks about where there's God there's love, and if you're not walking in love, you can't claim to know God. But when you walk in love and love each other, God is thick. Marhaba.
Last day, we toured the Dome of the Rock, kind of an awkward place, reminding us of the division that exists in culture and history, and we're trying to ride this rim with our new dear friend, Ahmed, and his family. And then we get back in the bus right there at Stevens Gate, and I say, Ahmed, let's go. we got to go back to Tel Aviv. And he goes, no, 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 no. I said, what? I'm the boss, man. We're going to Tel Aviv. You wait, you wait, you wait. And all of a sudden, we see this scene you coming down the street. Yeah. Open the door. Nice. Open the door. you got to open the door for the woman. <laughs> <laughs> She's never said a word. Oh! Oh! She's very happy like to see you guys, to meet you. Uh, she came here especially like to say hello to you and goodbye actually. Especially for And I uh, hope like you're gonna get back to home in peace and uh, and health. And we hope that you enjoyed your time here, your vacation here. You are people, awesome people. You are great people. And you are friend. Yeah. Look at that smile. Thank you. That goes on. She goes on for three minutes. She says, you showed me love, you showed me grace. Anytime any of you are here in, in Israel, anytime, you come and stay at my home. And for the first time, that family, and mind you, 700 years, they lived in the heart of Christianity. For the first time, marhaba. We saw them, we valued them, though they are different. And then we fell in love with them. And we did a little bit of life with them. Two days later, I say, Ahmed, we're still in Israel. Go get that beautiful woman. We're going to take her to dinner. We're going to take her to Joppa. And we have dinner in Joppa. This is the end of dinner. And we all gather right here, one block from Simon the, Simon the Tanner's house. And we're sharing in a circle all that God showed us. And then we'll just click through them. And then there they are, laughing, celebrating what God showed us, celebrating what they've experienced. Ahmed did the whole journey with us, saw the baptisms, the whole thing. And then there's C.J. Nelson, a dear friend of mine we met in the barbershop. He gets baptized and just brought to a whole new level of his faith walk. And there they are laughing and enjoy it. And then they go off into the sunset after we do a walk together through an Arab city called Joppa. And he turns to me and he says, you know, Marika, I've always wanted to see California. And I say, eh, you're not that impressive, Ahmed. I don't think so. I said, you come to my house anytime. Currently, they are scheduled to take their summer vacation and come to Santa Cruz. Is that going to be awesome, walking through East Cliff Drive? And if they come to my house, they'll be sitting somewhere right in about here. Because it's all about, my friends, jumping up on the rim, getting out of our comfort zone, trusting the voice of God through the eyes of God, with the heart of God, reaching into certain people that we shouldn't be reaching into because that takes marhaba. I kind of lied to you, though. I'm in front of God on his platform, not in the ivy. I got to be honest. The story didn't start in 1997. <laughs> the story started 44 years ago 
when a barefoot, bareback horse riding girl who attended Omega, and this church didn't have a hitching post out front on Sundays, so she went to a church on Chabot Road and hitched her horse and took another barefoot 13-year-old girl to church. She got up on her rim, out of her community, saw a little gal named Kathy Gunn, got on the rim, rode a bareback horse to church, and my wife accepted the Lord. She was my wife at the time. She was 13. Be weird. This is a picture of her. I met her for the first time two days ago. And this is a picture of her and my wife. And I want to say, thank you for stopping for one and being you and being a masterpiece and parking a horse that was, shouldn't even been allowed to be owned by people, an old retired quarter horse, and bringing that woman to faith. And she parked me on a hilltop behind Cal State Hayward and whispered life into my whispered life into my soul through Christ. Question we, you and I have to ask is, will we become the masterpiece we were created to be? Stop. See who God wants us to see. Start to value those people and then do a little bit of life because one person turns into a nonprofit that is now going to be hosting a surf competition sponsored by Surfer Magazine because C.J. Nelson said, everybody I know needs to come on this adventure. So let's do a surf competition through the tribal way. Ah, we're just figuring out what this nonprofit thing is. We don't know. But it's going somewhere. Would you do me a favor and an honor and pray with me? Would you pray with me the way Jesus prayed? His last prayer. With his eyes open. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for these masterpieces. Thank you for the way you made us. And would you start to open our eyes so that we can see why we're walking the earth and see the people you put in our face at Trader Joe's and on the soccer field and in school and at work. And may we start to have the ears that hear your voice and the courage that comes with your heart to jump on the rim and change the world one person at a time. Your son's name we pray.